Psalm 61, to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us and we will look at Psalm 61. Lord, we need your help and you gladly give it. (laughs) Into our frailty, into our fog, into our confusion, into our distress, you are happy to bring your word and the encouraging power of your spirit. So do so now. Let us surprise our own lives accurately uh, to see where our heart is faint and return quickly to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 61, yesterday I helped move my uh, number three child, our daughter Rebecca and her husband Jared bought a home, their first home in Broad Ripple. And so we moved them out of their apartment and uh, they got a moving truck, which I was thankful for. A lot of people make little local moves. They think we just need a few pickup trucks and it's always a disaster. Uh, But they got a moving truck and we packed everything, but uh, they had taken their clothes and packed them into our Honda Pilot instead so they didn't get all you know, sloshed around. And at the end, I was carrying a just big, huge pile of clothes on hangers over my shoulder, just walking in like this. I don't know how, it was, it's a heavy pile. And I noticed for the first time, like I'm lifting my hand over my head with weight pulling it back. And for the first time in 15 years about, it doesn't hurt. My shoulder doesn't hurt. And I went to my wife and said, honey, look at this. She's like, huh, you know. Um, I have a torn labrum in my right shoulder and have for years. I don't know how many years, maybe 30. I don't know. But for the last 15, it's been hurting a lot. I can't really, I haven't had any time lifting weight over my head for a good decade and a half where it hasn't been painful. And last yesterday, it wasn't. Why is that? Well, one of your elders, Daryl Cap, put me in touch with a great physical therapist. And for several weeks, he was working rehabbing my shoulder. Uh, taking me through intentional range of movements with my shoulder to bring healing to that entire region. Now, is my labrum still torn? Yes, in several places, probably little micro tears. And it will be, I'm not going to have surgery on it, it will be until the, re- the resurrection of my body, the glorification of my body in the next chapter. I still live in a broken world. It's still a torn labrum. But because of those intentional movements, I think what's happened is all the muscles around it have strengthened. I'm less tense there, whatever. It's a general a more healthy situation. Um, sometimes when I was going through those, most, those movements, I didn't feel any pain at all, and I did it. Sometimes I did feel pain, and I did it anyway because my physical therapist told me, you're not making it worse, it's just painful, you're fine. And so I pushed on through. Both of those were actually creating a, a healing environment in my shoulder. 
As we've been waking, making our way through the Psalms this summer in part and, and do every, most summers, I would encourage us to think of the Psalms as intentional movements for the restoration of our soul over and over again. Intentional movements for the restoration of what in, in Hebrew, the Hebrew mind we might call the heart, the, the internal being, our, the internal center of who we are. We move through those movements and sort of map our affections and our heart onto the heart of the psalmist. Sometimes we feel the pain that the psalmist felt, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel the weight of what the psalmist feels in a broken world. Sometimes we don't at that moment. Whether we feel that pain or not, those intentional movements are still good for the strengthening of the internal, internal environment in our soul, in our heart. They're good for training us to glorify and enjoy God and to bless others. Psalm 61 this morning is, you just heard Dan read it, is what we might call a psalm of restoration or renewal. A psalm of restoration or renewal designed, friends, by your Lord by your Lord, for your restoration. I'm going to wait just for a second so I can say that again. Um, Psalm 61 is designed by the God who loves you and your Lord for one thing, your restoration and renewal when your heart is faint and when you feel far from him. And when you sense that he is not close to you, even though you know theoretically that he is. When you sense your own frailty. And even if that's not your experience in this exact moment, moving our heart through those intentional movements strengthens that inner reality. Because one day it, it will be. Personal frailty and over, being overwhelmed in heart is a normal condition in our world. So let's look at this psalm. We'll start with the conclusion the top of your insert there in red, this is where we're going to end up. God's people, you, friends, if you're in Christ, God's people have a way of return in the heat of life because he watches over us with covenant love. God's people have a way of return to him in the heat of life because he watches over us with covenant love. The truth is, we're in a big story of God's covenant love. And Sometimes in our own little world, we lose the plot line. And all we see are these like two inches in front of our feet. And we, can't, and we forget that we're caught up in something much bigger and better than us and that includes us. And we grow discouraged. And this, song is, this psalm is about opening that lid a little bit. What we have here is what we might call the way of return, the reason for hope, and at the very end, the song of a soul at rest or a song of a soul at home. The way of return, the reason for hope, and the song of one at home. First, the way of return we have, just for your own mental, like where we're going, three pleas that David makes, a P-L-E-A, plea. Hear me, lead me, and let me. Hear me, lead me, let me. And he gives reasons attached to these, but let's begin here. Psalm 61, to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. This is David, when he is king, he, he writes this, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. So what's the situation here? What's going on here with David? He says he's calling from the ends of the earth. We don't know. I have a little ringing. Does anybody else hear that a little ringing? Can we do something about that? I don't know if we can, if anybody can do. Andy, thank you for being first time on sound. I said I wouldn't say anything, but I was saying nothing. <laughs> um, 
What's the situation going on with David? He says, I'm at the ends of the earth. We know he's king. It could be that uh, there's one time when he's king that his son, Absalom, talk about some family dynamic issues, his son Absalom tries to overthrow him and kill him and runs him out of Jerusalem and he is out in the desert. That could be the time, thank you Andy, that could be the time when he's like, I'm at the ends of the earth. A lot of people just think he's talking about it's, uh, it's metaphorical because he follows up and says, my heart is faint. My heart is faint. My internal reality is weakened and overwhelmed. So, Stop. For you, what makes your heart faint or overwhelmed or weakened? What makes the internal reality of ours weakened? It's helpful, I think, that we don't know what's going on with David here because it's, then it's really just applicable to, to all of us all the time. Here's some things that strikes me that can make a heart faint. A long season of busyness, in which we just gradually disconnect from fellowship to the Lord. It could be a season of responsibility. Um, Maybe we've forgotten to draw strength from another, maybe in your work or in your family. You have people looking to you all the time, looking to you, looking to you, looking to you. And over time, we forget that we actually have to be looking to another in our role of whatever responsibility that has to be. A heart can grow faint when we are sinned against, especially in ways that strain that sort of day in, day out capacity to forgive. Now that could be sinned against in a, in a great, profound, terrible way or just the repetition of, of sin just over and over and over again. It's withering, it's withering. It could be prolonged distress, it could be physical distress. If you've had a prolonged sickness, maybe you have a prolonged sickness, you know, boy, that, it just wipes us out. Maybe it's coming to grips with aging bodies, you know, shoulders that ache that don't get better. Parts of our body is like, wow, this is the new normal until the restoration of all things. That can wither us. It could be mental distress. Maybe those are intrusive thoughts. Maybe it's just intensely complicated things in your family or in your life or in your job that you've got to figure out, and you can't figure it out. It's tiring. Could be relational distress. Marital distress makes the heart faint. Like some of us know that. Some of us know that right now. Could be a rift with a friend or just disconnection with friends. It could be you see your adult children or your teenage children acting foolish, and you know that it's destructive to them. It's painful. Maybe you're coming to grips with the aging and failing of your own parents. It's withering. Maybe it's being, can make, can make us captive to sin, is, uh, or make us heart, heart faint is being captive to sin. Something that has gained mastery over us. Something have mastery over you? Is it is it bitterness? Is it coveting? I just want oh, I just want a little bit more. Is it brooding? Lust? This one, this craving for one more drink, one more one more bite of food right now, and just make me feel better. 
It has mastery over us. It could be a long discouragement. Our heart grows faint and God seems distant. You know sorrow and loss create that. It could be excessive exposure to the brokenness of our world. Right now we have, and that's more than we're designed to take in. Like it, all the brokenness and, and folly and evil and destruction of our world can just come streaming right into our phone right before us. And some of us convince ourselves that we're not good people if we don't know about all the bad things. Stop it. <laughs> we're not built for that. What's it do? It makes our heart faint. We're not just not wired for that. Or it could simply be leaving off the means of grace that God gives to us for renewing relationship. Word, prayer, corporate worship, sacrament. What makes your heart faint? David's heart is faint here. That's his situation. He's a king. He's a husband. He's a father. A lot of times, he's his own worst enemy. He's sinful. He's well-meaning. He's stupid. He has intense political things to figure out, both in his own internal political structure and with international, with foreign relations. He has constant critics. Sometimes he has enemies trying to kill him and he has a God in the midst of that and sometimes it's just hard for him to see that. His heart is faint. So what is his plea? What's his plea? What is your plea? When your heart is faint. It's a tremendously important question. You know why? Because either your heart is faint right now or it will be in not too long. This is the world in which we live. A faint heart is a common experience. What's David's plea? Here it is. It's very complicated and a little nuanced. You might get a pen out and write this very long phrase down. It is this. Hear me. Listen to me. Lord. That's it. Hear me, Lord. He's not trying to get God to do something God doesn't want to do. David is raising his voice to get out of the fog of his own little world. Hear me. Listen to my prayer. I call to you when my heart is faint. Listen to my prayer. Attend to my prayer, some of your translations may say. What does that mean? This is, I've seen some of this happen with us here, and it's definitely happened in my own family, but not for a few years, because I see this happen when like, a mom has maybe a 16 or 18-month-old like, on her hip, and this baby has just begun to talk, you know, that verbal explosion between 18 and 20 months, you know, where you're like, they're talking, but I'm not quite sure what they're saying, blah, 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 blah. Um, and mom's got baby on her hip, talking to somebody else, and baby, you know, toddler's talking, talking, talking to mom. And somehow, this is just because moms are magic, they can understand what the kid is saying, what the kid wants, and listen and talk to the other person all at the same time. I, I don't have that capacity. Carmen had that capacity. Many of you have that capacity that uh, don't have a Y chromosome. It's just a weird thing. And so the kid is talking, mom's paying attention to the kid, and talking to her friend, and then something will go on, and that kid just gets fed up, and he will this has happened with our own kids, grab mom's face and look at me. <laughs> I want to know that you know and are listening to me, even though she was listening to him the whole time. That's what's going on here with David, I think. I need to know, Lord, that you hear me, hear my prayer, tend to my prayer, 
I feel like I'm alienated and far away and I'm living under this dark cloud that I can't see through. Hear me, hear me. That's what I want. And here's the reason he gives. And this is great. This is actually the difference between grace and every other way of living right here. Lord, hear my cry, listen to my prayer. Why? He does not say, I'm putting in my time praying, so listen to me. He does not say, I'm innocent, or I think you kind of owe me here. I've been having a string of bad luck. I put up with a lot. Now it's your turn to listen to me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, look, I'm sorry, I should have come to you sooner. He doesn't say, look, I've stayed out of trouble mostly, or I haven't stayed out of trouble, but my heart is really good. He gives no qualifications. Why does he say, hear me? Here's why. I'm in trouble. I'm in a far country, and uh, my heart is faint. That's why I need you to hear me. That's it. I've got nothing to offer but need, and you've got everything to offer That's why I need you to hear me. Do you know what the Bible calls that? Grace. Grace. We never have anything to offer. God always has everything to offer when we come. That is grace. Lord, I got nothing in my hand but need. And you've got everything. I just want to come to you. That's it. That's it. That's the first move. And now we're spending more time on this first move. You know why? Because it's the hardest one. How many times in our own life have our heart been faint and we've tried everything else? Everything else. We've journaled about it, like we're spiritual. We've complained to our friends. We've had, you know, good reasons. We've jumped online and read 13 articles from peers who also don't know anything, just keep giving different opinions. We never even, maybe we read some good theologians. Maybe you called me or Taylor and said, hey, can I have a resource suggestion And maybe we said this or maybe we didn't say, hey, here's the first resource suggestion. Cry out to the Lord. It's hard for us to remember that because it's hard for us to remember it for ourselves. Hear my cry, oh God. Look, if your heart is faint today, move number one, cry out to the Lord. And desperation. Last, yesterday when we were moving Jared and Rebecca, they got this big moving truck, which I'm very thankful for. They backed it in there. They bought this little tiny house in Broad Ripple, the size of a shoebox. And the, the, the driveway is so narrow. Actually, we already popped one of our tires on our Honda Pilot on it so narrow. And Jared somehow marvelously backed that sucker into that driveway on this little tiny narrow street. And uh, he, we got it all, everything unpacked and he pulled it out and he had to cr- turn it really tight and he started turning it and the very back corner of the back bumper of the U-Haul caught on their uh, stones on the side of their driveway, the stone wall and it started pulling it and I saw it. I was on the porch. I was in the door on the porch. I yell out, stop, stop. He's got his windows up and I'm yelling. How loud am I yelling? Loud enough for him to hear me. I, I just kept yelling louder and louder and louder until he stopped. That's what was necessary. What's necessary, guys? Well, what's your distress? God's not unavailable, but sometimes we are unaware. And crying out is a way of puncturing that dark cloud.
And he goes on, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. The second plea is lead me. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You're a rock, Lord, a place of safety and security and stability. Now in the ancient Near East, in the desert, a rock was important, right? Because if you're on the run from an enemy, you want to be high, partly because if you've ever been there, I've been to Israel once, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's just nothing. You go out in the desert, nothing. You can see an enemy coming from miles and miles and miles away if you have a high vantage point. Also, if they're climbing up and you're on a rock, you really have the advantage. You just drop stuff on them, right? You have the advantage of gravity. Being on a high rock is a safe place. Also, he may be talking about in the ancient Near East, in, in Israel, even today, actually not ancient, in the spring, there's these flash floods all the time because the snow melts in the mountains and the, and the ground is so dry, the water can't sink in and it will come down and fill these, these valleys called wadis up really fast and there'll be flash floods all the time. And you want to scramble to a rock so you can be on this high rock and just see the water going on around you. It's a safe place. Lord, you're a safe place. I need to know you as that safe place. And he says, lead me, which might be too soft, because the rock that is higher than I means it's, lead me to the rock that is unattainable to me unattainable by me. I can't get there. So what he's really saying is, I need you to rescue me. Rescue me to the rock. I need you to do what I can't do. I don't need directions. I don't need instruction. I need rescue. That's what I'm asking for in prayer when my heart is faint. Not a better way to do X, Y, and Z. I need rescue. We're asking for the spirit of God to work in our weakness. So he's saying something like, I want to experience you afresh as my safety and security, but I can't, do, I can't make this happen. I am like, David's a, in, a, in the position of a man or a woman at the, in a well, trapped in a well. Smooth, tall sides. You know, with our last dying gasp, we're crying out, somebody help me. I don't need you to tell me where the top is. I know where the top is. I got no strength. I don't need you to drop a rope. I can't climb rope. I need you to come down here, grab me, and pull me up. That's my situation. That's what he means by lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And the reason is you have been my refuge and a strong tower against the enemy. I had this memory so faint, you have been, there's a history, you have been my refuge in a strong tower. <gasps> That's right, I forgot that. That's what I want again. So maybe many of you have a history or memory of an experience with the Lord where you say, I'm confident in his security. Don't read that as something, oh, that's way in the past and that'll never happen again. That is a marker in the past to tell you what God is like. Now maybe you say, I don't really have that. It's okay, you don't have to. Because what is the cross? But Jesus himself being a refuge and a strong tower for his people. Think of what a strong tower does, a, a tower in a city wall. It, uh, it, it takes the arrows for the enemy. You're inside it, the enemy shoots it, it hits the tower. If it, uh, a fortress does that for you. If we, right now a hailstorm broke out on this sunny day, we would be protected. This would be our fortress. Why? Because this building would take the, the, the potency of that storm. 
That's what a refuge does. That's what a fortress does. That's what a strong tower does. That's what Jesus does for us. He takes that effect of our own sin, death, and the devil for us. He has been a strong tower to you, friend, if you're in Christ. Look to that. Long for the experience of that. This is a very experiential song. We're not going to apologize for that as we go. Hear me, lead me, and finally he says, let me, verse four, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Selah, and we think Selah means just pause for a second, let that soak in for a second. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Tent for David was the tabernacle, which was, eventually became the temple after David, Solomon's son David built it after David. What's in David's mind here is he, is worshiping with the community of God's people, right? With the rest of God's people because that brings to him this sense of security and identity and redemption in the picture of this whole story that he's in. Now, this is hard, I think, for American Christians. So that means it's hard for us. We tend to think of Christianity like I'm a Christian because I, Roger Williams, believe in Jesus. I've trusted him. I've, you know, I, I trust him for my salvation. We might say I have a personal relationship with Christ. Fine. I have a personal relationship with Christ, and you have a personal relationship with Christ. Therefore, we are together in one body. My individual faith, your individual faith, means we're plunged together into this one thing. That is not untrue. It's just not the whole truth you get a much deeper sense from the the Bible that the order is reversed. That Jesus has died for a people, a group. And what that leads to is me and you. The Bible really does talk about the group first. So what is it, you know, in the New Testament, I sometimes ask people that like, I'm a Christian, why do I need to go to church? I ask the question, okay, do you know what the New Testament calls a Christian who's not part of a local church? Answer, nothing, it doesn't know of one. Like, oh, but I don't know a Christian because I have a you know, personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible wouldn't say so if you're not part of a local fellowship. Now, it doesn't say you're not a Christian, just like it doesn't talk about that, it's a foreign concept. That's really hard post-enlightenment for us Westerners to get, I realize that. And so, you know, sometimes, we churches don't make this any better. So maybe we're part of guilty too. Like we customize everything. So sometimes, like we sang a new song last couple of weeks, Psalm 107. Peter introduced it. It was pretty cool. I really liked it. Kind of had a rockabilly feel. I think it was pretty cool. We just introduced that song two weeks ago. We have the freedom to put a song in, take a song out. Do we like that? Do I not like that? How about this? How about that? You guys give songs. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Can you imagine what it would be like 200 years ago? Like, hey, let's do this new song. We're like, cool, the new hymnal comes out in 123 years. And it will be 97% the same as the old hymnal. We, we would submit to that whole group identity. It's just different for us. I'm not saying it's bad, but it, we do have to understand, wow, we're only seeing half of the Bible picture. Guys, you've been plunged by Jesus into a local community. This one, maybe this isn't your home church, maybe it's a different home church. But don't undervalue the corporate identity. David's longing to be in the tabernacle, worshiping with God's people. Not just in your tent, but under the shelter of your wings. 
Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. This is a rich metaphor, at least of a mother bird sheltering her chicks. All through the Old Testament. Jesus picks this up, you may remember, in Luke 13, where he's looking on Jerusalem, from outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that had been favored by God, a city of, we today, a city of privilege of historical proportion. And yet they had resisted the prophets and they're gonna reject Jesus. And he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Jerusalem, I would offer my covenant love to you, a covenant love that protects you at the cost of my own self but you're not willing. And hundreds of years before that, David anticipates this some way and and looks at that covenant love and says, that's what I want. That's what I want. But when my heart is faint, it's hard to see it. Rock. So you might see here, there's increasing warmth and intimacy. Rock. Refuge, which would be a, a fortress refuge. Tower which is in a city wall, tent, wings, coming closer, coming in. Now, there might be one more step here. Not quite sure. Taylor and I have been dialoguing about this. What does this mean under the shadow of your wings? If David is worshiping in their tabernacle, he's facing something that he cannot go into, which is called the Holy of Holies. That place where God symbolically dwelt on the seat of the Ark of the Covenant, and over the Ark of the Covenant, or beside by side of the Ark of the Covenant, are two carved, massive statues of these heavenly creatures called cherubim, and their wings are over the Ark of the Covenant. David could be saying, I long to go all the way in, but even David, the king, could not go in that far. Do you know who can? You. Hebrews 9, in, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and only once a year. They have to come in by this sacrificial system. Hebrews 9 says the high priest could go in only once a year, but we go in by the blood of Jesus. In Christ, friends, we get to go all the way in. All the way. Rock, refuge, tower, tent, wings, Savior. Now, I think this is setting in on David. You don't, when your heart is faint, first we just begin by crying out. And then it becomes more clear and more clear and more clear as we go. It's gradual. That's normal. That's okay. There is a reason for hope here. And sort of the the reason on the last cry links to the next section. It's actually a very hard passage to outline. Anyway, verse five. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You've heard my vows. You've heard my prayers. Oh. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. God, David knows that he has heard. A couple weeks ago, I went early Thursday morning. We have our worship team meeting, music team meeting at 6.30 in the morning here. And uh, I went, I got up early. I was going to come in and do a little early work. So I went to Starbucks at like in the five o'clock hour. And I did my, you know, my at mobile order app to get my grande Americano, a shot of soy milk. Uh, and I went in there. And on the way in, as I was outside the Starbucks in Irvington, I heard somebody yell something. It was muffled, but I didn't know what it was. 
okay, it's weird. But it's on Washington Street, so you know. Who knows? Um, so I walk in and I see this barista who looks a little bit harried and haggard, a young guy, I'd never seen him before, so I think he's probably new. And there's like eight drinks on the counter, on the mobile order to go counter. And uh, I walk in, I'm like, hi. And I grab mine, it was already there. On the way out the door, there, by the way, there's nobody at all in Starbucks, just me. I grab it, nobody, walk in, nobody's there except this guy, one other person, eight drinks on the counter, grab mine, walk out the door. And I'm walking out the door and I hear this guy yell, Miranda! There's nobody there. This poor dude, he's like, for the last eight drinks, he's been yelling into midair for names for people who aren't there. I appreciate he takes his job seriously. I mean, he's probably a new employee. He's probably supposed to do that. I don't think I would. Clearly, nobody's, Miranda's not there. He yelled my name. I kind of wished I was there earlier just so he could have some satisfaction. Roger, like, here I am. Here, good job, right? But this poor guy is yelling for names. He knows nobody's there. He knows nobody's listening. David starts out that by this point, he's like, you hear my cries. You, God, hear my vows. I'm not yelling into the air. I know that I'm heard by you. That's why I have reason for hope. It's gradual though. It's not right at the beginning. He, He warms up into that. You are hearing my prayer. I have been given a heritage. I get to worship with all these people. I have land. I have a memory of joy with you. It's starting to return. This heritage, this inheritance. In fact, in Ephesians 1, Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, you have an inheritance and you have belief in that. And because you have belief in that, I want to pray that you have more and that you see it more clearly, that you come to grips more and more and more with all the inheritance that you have in Christ. Sometimes it gets fuzzy. I know that. Paul says, therefore, I'm praying that you get more of it, that you understand it more. And so here this psalm is moving, as we say, from disorientation to reorientation, David's seeing. And so in this sort of lyrical turn, he moves to the third person just for a couple stanzas, as if to say the reason for my personal hope is that I am caught up in a much bigger story sustained by another. The the reason for your personal hope and mine, we're caught up in a much bigger story that we actually get to be part of that is sustained not by me, not by you, not by this church or your elders, but by Jesus himself. And that's a reason for hope, guys. In ancient Israel, the good of the people was directly bound up with the good of the king. You have a good king, he rules justly, the people are blessed. David steps back here with the realization that he is caught up in the story of another king, not just himself. Verse 6, prolong the life of the king, may his years endure to all generations. David's not talking about himself now. He's not saying, I want to live forever. He's referring to Nathan's prophecy given to him in 2 Samuel 7, where he comes and says, David, one from your line will reign for all generations, and his kingdom will be a kingdom of peace for all people in all ages. And David remembers the big story and says, that's what I want to attach my hope to. That's why we can cry out with confidence to the Lord. Verse 7 May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. The ages go on. Solomon comes and he reigns, and it's not Solomon. But God preserves the line of David with steadfast love or covenant love and faithfulness. Until one day, one from the line of David, Jesus himself comes on the scene. And in his ministry and life, he is preserved with covenant love 
and faithfulness. He goes to the cross. Three days later, he is resurrected from the dead. He teaches for 40 days and then he ascends to the throne. His, what we call the ascension to the, his enthronement where he now reigns. The father appointed covenant love and faithfulness to preserve him during his life on earth. Covenant love and faithfulness is the air that heaven breathes. Covenant love and faithfulness is the character with which Jesus rules today. In fact, in Psalm 110, I should have put this in your insert, I did not, is what we call the enthronement psalm, anticipating Jesus' enthronement. And just listen to these words. David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves to you freely on the day of your power in holy garments. What it's saying is, in the day of your reigning, your people will joyfully serve you. It will not be a burden to them. That is the sign of them seeing you clearly as the enthroned king. Look at, the, look at how this song ends. The song of a soul at rest. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. So David's like, I anticipate happily serving you with a song in my heart. The, song, the sign of a soul at rest is seeing the following Jesus as not a burden. Seeing it, oh, that's the life he died to give me back. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, if you're in a spot today where it's hard to see, like, well, I don't even know what following Jesus is or it seems like such a burden, I've got good news to you, for you, and that's this. You're in a far country and there's a way back. There's a way of return. And it simply starts with calling out and crying out. Frankly, I think that some of us all the time and many of us much of the time just settle for far too less of the, too little of the Lord. He's willing to give more. We have too much stuff in our hands. The call is to bring that stuff to the Lord. In our sin, in our frustration, in our fainting of soul, we come to the Lord. And we hear Jesus say, don't you know that I now rule in steadfast love and faithfulness? Come, come to me. You have nothing. I have everything. We call that grace. We call that grace. Come with honest hearts and open hands. And I will fill both with myself, Jesus says. It's easy to forget, hard to hold on to. For that reason, we come every week to the communion table where Jesus is actively preaching the gospel to you and to me, saying you come with open hands and honest hearts and I will fill you with myself. If you're in Christ, I invite you to the communion table. I'm gonna pray.